Welcome to Shiro's Journey, a podcast for Shiro's and the people who love them. Episode 6, Tests, Allies, and Enemies. I'm Pamela Prather, and for over 20 years, I've been empowering actors, executives, and curious humans with tools to unlock their voices and tell their stories. Along the way, I found that for me, voice is about more than just how I speak. It's a spiritual journey. It's about connecting my inner voice to the outer world. It's about breath, resonance, and deep listening. It's how I show up every day as a coach, a mom, a friend, a sister, a poetic soul, and a passionate human. The structure of Shiro's Journey podcast is loosely based on the path outlined by Joseph Campbell in his book, The Hero's Journey, but it's from a woman's perspective. And in each episode, I talk with awesome Shiro's as they answer the call to adventure, battle the dragons, and ultimately win. Plus, there is a segment called Me and the Kid, a chat with my 11-year-old son that allows us to experience the world through the open eyes and candid voice of my kiddo. I hope you'll find inspiration, fuel, and even a little laughter as you imagine how you can amplify your own journey in the world. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining the Shiro's Journey Adventure with me. Today's episode is... Stage six of the Shiro's journey is the halfway point. Woohoo! <laughs> We've made it halfway, and it's when we face the tests, allies, and enemies. And these tests, allies, and enemies can show up in many external forms that I'm sure we are all aware of, but I also think they can be part of our internal fabric, our cellular memory. In a recent post, Ethan Cross, who wrote the book Chatter, in fact, it's a new book and I'm listening to it on Audible, absolutely love it and recommend it, spoke about how chatter is the cycle of negative thoughts and feelings that turn our capacity for introspection into a vulnerability rather than a strength. We worry, ruminate, and catastrophize rather than come up with clear solutions for how to improve our circumstances. And I think about this chatter as I am living with you and our collective human family through this once-in-a-century pandemic, a time also of racial reckoning and of extreme political polarization. And I think about the many tests that we have all experienced in the last year and how extremely exhausting all of this can feel and how important it is to be with what is to feel our feelings, and to allow ourselves time to pause and replenish. And I am so grateful to you for taking time to pause with me and to hear from today's superstar Shiro, Rosalind Coleman-Williams. I can't believe how lucky I am to know Ros personally. She is a humble and ridiculously talented woman she graduated from the very prestigious Howard University and has an MFA from Yale School of Drama. She's known as an actor's director, and people love her. I am one of those people. Her most recent project is a feature film called Hanging by a Thread, written and produced by her husband and partner, Craig T. Williams, and executive produced by Academy Award winner Viola Davis and her husband, Julius Tenen. 
She was voted favorite on-camera teacher in a backstage reader's poll two years in a row. Just seeing her beautiful smile and spending time with her was an elixir to my soul in these often challenging times. I encourage you to go to rosalindcoleman.com to connect with this awesome human. And of course, you can find the links in the show notes. But for now, take us on your walk, your run in your car, or just find a quiet place to chill and enjoy my heart to heart with the one and only Rosalind Coleman Williams as we talk about tests, allies, and enemies. Hey, I am so excited to be here on this amazing day with this beautiful woman. I'm closing my eyes to visualize that we're in the same room. Uh, I love her voice. I love her energy. I love her humanity. And our IG page is awesome too. But Roz, (laughs) (laughs) Roz Williams. Uh, do you go by double names? You're married, right? So. Um, I, you know what? It's so confusing. So I do, I do usually say Rosalind Coleman Williams, just in case somebody remembers me as an actress named Rosalind Coleman. So gotcha. yeah, gotcha. it's all good. I love it. <laughs> well, it's super funny because uh, you podcast listeners don't know, but prior to getting this started, we are uh, on our episode six, Tests, Allies, and Enemies. I have to say that we were very technologically challenged today. (laughs) Yes, we were. But, uh, you know, it's such an interesting thing because that is life. Life is so full of challenges. We sometimes are, are... programmed to think that we were, we're going to, you know, it's going to be all smooth and easy and, uh, or we're living to balance, right? Yep. And, and, you know, it's more about resilience, I think sometimes, huh? (laughs) Oh my, the older you get, the more you realize that. (laughs) Right. I mean, yeah. And so I'm so excited because not only, I just realized that, uh, you know, because I wasn't sure which episode you might be part of and which month would be the release. But it's kind of beautiful because this uh, uh, release, you're you're my halfway point, six, six into my 12 episodes. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm yeah. doing my clapping, yeah, my Zoom your, clapping. Your beautiful, happy hands. And, yes. Um, and so, you know, Roz and I have been colleagues and, uh, and I was actually one of my one of my, I mean, not, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites when you're teaching, I guess, but a dear favorite of mine, Chandre, uh, who is one of our, our kids that we worked with and he yep. went off to have a beautiful career and doing lovely things out there. But you played his mother in his first sure did. outside of graduation, <laughs> right? Yes. I have played with actors um, who I taught before, yeah. but that was literally the fastest that's ever happened. He graduated, what, in May? Yeah. And we were working in June. I loved that. I just loved that. It was that. beautiful. Yeah, it was. And so I think we share a lot of, you know, intersections. We're both professors, teachers, podcasters. You've had yes. done this world too, but also mothers, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and and sort of also, obviously, women. I identify as a woman. You do as well, right? Or Yes, I do. I <laughs> I certainly do. You don't get to see this woman's. She's got the gorgeous, most gorgeous curls, and I'm just kind of jealous Aww. of her glowingness today. Um, Virtual I, hug. Oh, love fest, <laughs> love fest. So I am so excited to also hear. Uh, I'm really more than excited. I'm curious and deeply interested in your wisdom today, and sharing with listeners. 
uh, as they navigate tests, allies and enemies. And, you know, this is such a an interesting time. I don't know. Interesting is a word to use uh, in terms of one's own, uh, you know, from a personal, from a um, from a political, from a uh, human, from a global perspective, yes. uh, thinking about tests, allies and enemies. I certainly feel like you're one of my allies. Through I most year. certainly am. <laughs> and, um, and I know we both undergone a few tests together, but, um, you know, I, I'm interested in your, your experience and maybe kind of what comes to mind today as you think about some place or a place that comes to mind where you felt ungrounded or lost your way uh, and and just curious <laughs> okay well that's okay. an easy question to answer because i have so many times that i have felt ungrounded or lost my way um if we want to choose the most recent one it would be you know um when the pandemic came i guess it was march 12th march 13th when I lost my job at um, To Kill a Mockingbird. So even though I was all over the headlines and my brother is a physician, emergency room physician, and he was, we're in a group text with the family. So he was telling us um, things were going to shut down. And, you know, it was already to the point where people in the audience were wearing masks and our audience was like a third of what it normally was. And I just didn't see how we could continue. And an usher at another show had gotten the virus, an actor at Moulin Rouge had gotten the virus, and we are packed in these theaters. So I, so it just wasn't logical. My acting scene partner is 86 years old, so she and I were terrified. And you know, they had hand sanitizer everywhere and wipes everywhere, but still we're all over we're on top of each other in the theater right so you're talking about a broadway production and mm -hmm. uh and not only a broadway production but a really uh unique special beautiful highly awaited production of to kill a mockingbird right 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 Ugh. and so when we were shut down I don't, I think I slept for the first two weeks. I don't think I got out of bed. I mean, and I, maybe I was tired. I don't know what was going on, but that was definitely a time when I felt ungrounded. And then when I woke up, um, you know, there were little things to do on Zoom and whatever, but I had no motivation. I just had, I couldn't see what was coming. So that was a time when I felt super ungrounded. And luckily, prayerfully, you know, I, I ran through all the unemployment and my husband was totally opposite. He was doing everything. He was doing the most on every platform, having Zoom, seven Zoom meetings a day, getting work. He literally got us agents during the pandemic. I mean, he's crazy. So, well, you know, well what I'm hearing you say is like, so, so you were ungrounded and then, and then you sort of, had to fall asleep for a little while. <laughs> oh yeah, you I just know? I just rested. And then I started with physical activity. Mm. I just would get into walking every day. We went to the beach once a week, which was life-saving. You know, that was everything just to be out in the water. Um oh yeah, and we started our little we did a little daily we had two daily things that we did. We celebrated the um the healthcare workers on our balcony making noise. 
And um, I really got into that. And that really grounded my day, giving myself a little routine, you know, <laughs> it helped me see from day to night. I was going to say, it's not only a routine, but it's a little bit, it's outside of yourself. There's a part yes. of you that's, that's acknowledging something outside of you to get you, you know, past this space of this test, right? Oh my gosh. Test, maybe. That was so, that was really grounding. That mm -hmm. really helped me. And then, um, and then getting back to work teaching. So I, I taught online and, um, and that directed online and those things that gave me purpose. So getting back to work, you know, I think the difference between um, those of us who are creative professionally and those of us who aren't is that we feel all the same feelings, all the same depression, all the same anxieties, but we do it anyway. So we just work in spite of how we feel. And I, I often say that to my students, you have to work in spite of how you feel in service to the audience. So doing that um, is what got me going again, is finding ways to connect. I want to pick up on that word in service of, because it's a very interesting, it's a word to me that one thinks about in service of others but also, how do you feed yourself to serve others? Do you know? Oh, I think like I cannot feed myself. I cannot serve others. And there have been times, other times in my career when I needed to be poured into. And so what I do for that is so blessed to be around other creatives, which is why I've stayed in New York, is um, getting in somebody else's class getting in somebody else's talk, um, that pours into me. It's going to the theater pours into me. Whether it's, I, don't, I like it or I don't like it, you know, my husband and I are regular theater goers and we love to have these deep discussions afterwards. And that really pours into my creative soul. Reading scripts pours into me. Everything that, um, like tonight, I'm going to watch um, Regina King's directorial debut. That's going to pour into me, you know. You know, and so it's a kind of, it feels like there's almost a cycle that you're talking about. Uh, yes. Rest and then, you know, uh, or the, like they say, I'm so rest and digest and then uh, put it back out in the world again. Yeah. Very much so. And the fact that um, in spite of everything, in spite of how I feel, there are always people, students or emerging actors who are interested in what I'm doing, who have questions for me. And that also pours into me because it's like, wait, I do know about that. <laughs> I do have something to say about that. And that, that wakes me up, you know, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm on the cutting edge, like um, that I have something new to offer, but I know that sometimes the the old stuff told in a different way can really resonate with someone. So I trust that. I trust that even though I'm saying, you know, I might be talking about something as ordinary as, I don't know, an opening beat to a scene. You know, how do you start? How do you begin a scene? And I might say it in a way that is new and fresh to the person that's listening. And so that is one way that I try to um, sort of honor that I have something to offer. Because I could be saying the same thing, but a different way. 
I love that. I I also think about, I mean, I don't know your husband. I just mm-hmm. know him from Instagram. But what Ross and her husband do this really cool thing where they now and then they have dinner together and they do this like IGTV of it. And it's so I just I feel it's so community building. There's such a beautiful like love that I see between the two of you. Of course, it's your Instagram life or whatever. But it's to me, just a beautiful archetypal human connective story. And I feel like it seems I'm hearing you say that in getting through these places of ungrounded, your husband's also been a partner in your life of feeling- Oh my gosh. Huge, huge. Sometimes I tell him I'd be sitting in my poop if it wasn't for you. <laughs> uh, but I definitely believe strongly that, you know, you have your independence, you know, your independent time in life, you know, your salad days, I also like to call that, when you get to be in the world by yourself and forging and just building all this strength and resilience. And there's also a time when you have interdependence and where that's where you have your power source and your strength. And certainly in your in your child raising years, that's a time when you're when you're really drawing from your interdependence. And I think for me, that has been so, I mean, creatively and as a mom, just as a woman, that has been so powerful to me to finally, um, I didn't get married until I was like 30, I think I was like 37. So- um, I thought you were only 37, you know, I thought you were <laughs> child bride, yeah. child bride, you're gorgeous. Child bride, thank you. <laughs> and. Um, And that was a time where I felt like, okay, I don't have to solve every single problem all by myself. You know, I can actually, and that was my, that was my criteria in having a husband. It's like, I have to trust this dude. You know, if I go to the hospital, he's got to speak for me. That's how much you have to trust this partner. And just that you really have to feel like you partner well, that you find someone who is smart and, um, and willing to work. You know, and that was my test of him. I was like, are you willing to work on yourself? You know, are you, you know, was one of my tests. Well, and so there was a test to discern whether this person is actually an ally, right? And your ally come your, your tribe and your community. Yes. And I think for my husband, he has actually exceeded my expectations. So he has broadened, he's grown so much in the years we've been married. And he certainly broadened our tribe. So I love feeling like I'm in a partnership that draws in people so that when on those times when I feel basically, you know, ungrounded, I have a partner who can be grounded so that you're never in the same place at the same time. And that's that's like one thing I can really manifest, you know, even in your parenting. It's like both of you can't be mad at your child at the same time. You know, one person has to be having patience while the other person is losing it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I I hear you. I hear, you know, you have one son as well, right? Right. We have a teenager, a very creative, um, edgy, as he tells us, teenager who is very independent, you know, a New York City child and, um, and letting him be free to explore his independence while keeping him safe has been incredibly challenging. And I'm sure it's been a huge uh, lesson. You're again, back to yourself about how do you distinguish allies from enemies, 
around your, you know, child's connections, around your own connections? I mean, how do you sniff that out? How do you teach that? That's really, really tricky because um, I think that ultimately you have to have a, a great a sense of faith and a sense of source, right? Beyond um, the external factors. So I hope and I pray that I'm teaching that and that I'm using that. And then it can be really tricky because a person who comes into your life and certainly your child's life can be in some ways an ally and in some ways not. Because like a teacher who is loving on him, who loves his personality, who thinks he's great, is an ally, right? But then also if they if that lets them lower their expectation of him, then that's not good. So I'm trying to get that clear that he sort of has to have his own standard, that ultimately he has to like want his education for himself. And that's the same in the arts. You have to sort of have to have your own drive, your own, what you consider what you want to put into the world, but is your personal best as opposed to what other people think. Because sometimes what other people think is, is good enough isn't to you. And then that actually, that hurts you. That comes back on you, you know? And that actually takes you off your mark, off your grounding, off your game. You know, when somebody says, ah, it's good enough. I think you're bringing up a really interesting point though, Roz. It's this idea that an ally doesn't always mean that they're going to reflect everything is perfect or wonderful about you, right? Exactly. And sometimes you need that person who's going to be more so the truth teller that's a true ally. That's a true person who is on your side, who's your friend, who's helping you. In part two of our interview, I ask Roz to share her perspective on tests, allies, and enemies, and how she has been heroically navigating the complexities of the Black Lives Matter movement and anti-racism. Wow, that's a great question. It has been, um, at first, you know that the pain of watching black people suffer, you know, um, uh, and I'm black, just in case you can't tell. Um, <laughs> well, you know, maybe in a podcast, not so obvious, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and I like to say I'm black, black. I'm black from the from the from the back of the theater. You can tell that I'm black. And also, <laughs> also, um, I am slave on both sides. So both sides of my family, we can only trace our roots back to Alabama and Georgia. Wow. So that's full on slave. And um, same for my husband's family. So we don't have, we don't know anything else beyond that, except for my husband recently did Ancestry. And guess what? He's from Africa. <laughs> oh, no. So they didn't have even like, what, you know, a particular area or oh, West or Africa, okay. you know, right. I mean, but what you would expect, you know, pretty much typical slave journey. Right. Um, so that's my background. Mm -hmm. And my son is, you know, he his first president was that he was aware of was Obama. Of course, we went to Obama's inauguration and everything. And and even though we had all these tragedies, you know, the typical um, black tragedies that we saw all along, all these people, Philando Castile, just all these people just getting killed, Sandra Bland. 
And all of those broke my heart. And, you know, I've been marching all my life. You know, I worked on Jesse Jackson's campaign. I'm from Washington, D.C. I went to Howard University undergrad. So I feel like I have a strong, I was a, I went in the Black Panther daycare program. So you are not I feel, are you serious? Are you? I am 100% serious. Wow. That's I was, fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, that is where our grace comes from. Because if you watch our dinner program on Instagram, you hear us say, we love to help each other, all our sisters and our brothers. Every day now, we are Black and Proud united together. That is the grace from the Black Panther Daycare Program. And so we kept that as our family tradition. And um, Can I just say thank you for teaching me? I mean, aw. thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Mm. You're welcome. Love you. So in, I love you back. And in moving forward, you know, at first it was like this burden. I mean, it's, it's this combination of like, you're so grateful that there's so many white people who want to be allies. You're like, oh my God. I mean, I was at marches and they were like, literally, I've never been at marches, you know, for black injustice with all these white people before. And it has been so fabulous and all these young people and all this energy. And that was one of the things that really uh, got me going over the summer. But then the flip side of it was exhausting, which was all the conversations because it just felt like um, a burden to like, to welcome all these people to oppression, (laughs) to the party. (laughs) And, um, and, it, it was a so it was exhausting. The summer, the talking during the summer was exhausting because the question was, "Hey, black people, how do you solve racism?" And we're like, "I don't know if I knew that." <laughs> <laughs> Hello, white person. <laughs> you figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> asking me. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Like, what would a, what would be a good way to make this college non-racist? I'm like. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, and so after a while, I had to sort of step back from those conversations because they were endless, exhausting. And I truly don't know. I came up in that sort of generation was like, if you're black, you better be three times as, be- as good as a white person. That's the only way you're going to make it. And so I don't really know what true um, equality or fairness even looks like. I know that this awareness is a good thing. And I know that us, I mean, I've learned a lot from young people um, that, that this new language that we use is a good thing. And that these questions and these conversations are a good thing. So I sort of like try to have, be generous and open-hearted in having conversations. And I, my son has been so like shut down to it. He's like, I don't see color, you know? And I think that he is so hurt by the new tone that came with Trump that it just literally shut, he, it confused him and shut him down. And even though I'm like, look, if you go outside and you get into trouble, it's not because most of his friends are white. I'm like, you're going to be the one who gets arrested and not your white friends. So you got to da. And he just he goes he goes away. He goes glassy eyed. It's like he can't take it in. So I've had to literally pray over him, pray over his room, 
pray over his things and be like, you have got to have some trust and some belief or you're going to drive yourself crazy and you won't be able to let him go out into the world and grow the way he needs to grow. So it is very, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm in a constant dialogue with him about trust, about, you know, um, being in contact with me. But I ultimately think that we have to have like a higher expectation of the world and help the world meet us as we try to change it. But that I have to like be in the world in a positive way. When I encounter people, I have to expect um, that they are, that they love me, that they're going to be tolerant of me. And I think that that has been the way that I've moved in the world, even as an actor. Like when I come into the room, if I'm auditioning for a part and it doesn't say whether it's white or black, I assume that I have a fair chance, you know? And so, and that higher expectation has helped me deal. It just helps me deal, you know, to expect that like if I see racism everywhere, it shuts me down. So I just have to trick my brain and be like, of course they love me. <laughs> We're in an industry where people can literally say on the page what they I'm, I'm looking for. Um, you know, it's a default white. And then they'll say, if a character's oh, African-American. skinny, blonde. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Whatever. That's the default. Yeah. Yeah. So if, so I just feel like the, for me, my way of dealing has been to go into the room expecting people to be uh, generous and fair and to meet them that way until otherwise notified. Doesn't mean that I'm not in the march in the street because I feel that's my duty and I have to be. Does that make sense? That is so beautiful and so enlightening, just like you are, uh, illuminating. I mean, I know it's like kind of all over the place, but I'm sort of in the older generation where I'm in that generation where we learned to deal, you know, whereas um, the new, the younger generation, the younger people under me, they're more confrontational. And, and I'm, I'm like surprised at them. I'm like, what? You asked your, your, your college for a black production? Go, well, go ahead then. Well, all right. You know, I'm surprised. Well, I mean, I think you and I uh, are, we're both older young mothers, um, but, <laughs> you know, and, and so a lot of how I grew up and how I used to language because I grew up in New Mexico and was a minority in my call in my, in my high school. Um, you know, I never, I didn't, I didn't, I was unaware of mm -hmm. white privilege in a way, because I wasn't well off. We lived in a mobile home when I was a little girl before my parents could afford to buy our first house, um, nice. you know? And so my, um, and they were always really clear in saying, it's a mobile home. We bought the property. We're building an addition onto it. You know, they took a lot of pride in that. Um, nice. But we were like the poor kids, you know? Mm -hmm. We weren't the wealthy, uh, you know, we didn't fit that, that idea of privilege in my head. And right. so these last couple of years, especially this last year has been a big wake up call for me because somehow like your son, I've always felt like I don't see color, but right. the students have woken me up and the society and reading and understanding um, more. 
And so, you know, thinking about allies, it's, I, you know, thinking about tests and allies and enemies, I mean, this idea of how to ally ourselves with each other as humans on this way, and also to look for places that maybe one was unaware that allyship is needed, right? Mm -hmm. And then respecting healthy boundaries for what that means for the person one is offering allies (laughs) with and for. Oh my God. (laughs) Every black person can tell you that when this when George Floyd happened, we got texts from people we hadn't talked to in years reaching out saying like, how are you? How are you? And it's like, I know you mean well, but really. <laughs> oh, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I think I did the same thing because I was, you know, weeping, crying, feeling so much. I, I mean, I identify as a highly sensitive person. And so, you know, I think many actors do about 50% yes. of the population can identify with that. Yeah, uh, that kind of uh, characterization of their how they process, and right. so um, you know, it's just like when I see my kids, I call them my kids, our kids. Mm-hmm. They're teaching, and many of our students are come, uh, are from a black background and identify right. as black males. Mm-hmm. And I think about you know, uh, as a mother, I look at these boys as a mother. Uh, Me too. And I think about their mothers and I think about my own concerns with my own son. And then I think how to amplify that because there are, to your point earlier, statistics that align with, you know, a very uh, real fear that a mother would have of her dark skinned colored son out with his friends just being a kid. And that's exactly it. That's the kind of privilege I had not really clicked to in my Mm -hmm. ignorance, you know? Um, Yeah. And I hate to put that on my son, you know, I hate to, I I hate it, but I feel that I wouldn't be a a proper mother if I didn't try to make him aware, but I didn't like make him watch that, um, the Ava DuVernay, uh, when they see us, because I felt that was too depressing. And, I want him to feel free, you know, because I didn't want to project my own feelings about my fears and stuff onto him, thinking that that doesn't have to be his experience, but then I'd want him to be aware. So I'm in that, I'm trying to navigate that territory. I love this, you know, it makes me think and call back or refer back to what you were talking, you know, in terms of your own heritage earlier mm-hmm. and this idea of what we call generation, what's come to be generational trauma uh, yeah. termed, you know, I think it's yeah. for a while, but every, every human has some form of generational trauma that he or she is not aware of. And there's part of our work, I think, is healing that. And it sounds yes. like some of the work you're doing is healing for yourself in service of your next generations. Oh, very much, very much, because I want so badly, and I think this Trump thing has really taken us back, steps backwards, but I wanted him to have that sort of open uh, possibility for himself and not feel that he couldn't do anything a white friend could do. But then... I feel that I have to prepare him. 
So I'm finding that balance, you know, and I had a job offer for um, a school in the South at SCAD, which was like a wonderful job offer, but I wouldn't take it because I wouldn't take my son to the South, you know, and I, and so there, you know, those are sort of like the concrete steps that I have to do to like keep us personally safe. I feel more safe here in Manhattan than I do when I'm in Detroit, you know, where my other family is. I feel more um, like my son has more freedom here in, um, in a big city than he would in, you know, in Detroit where my cousins are just preyed on, you know, by law enforcement. So it's, it's rough, but, um, well, I mean, what I'm hearing you say to reflect back is in terms of this journey, the tests, the allies, the enemies, the circling back to this, this place. Yeah. It's like, they're all there. They're all going to be there at different times. And, and allies may sometimes, you know, not be what they seem at, at, in terms of, you know, are they really truly pushing you where you need to go or are they holding you back? I get that, especially in the um, in the educational, you know, that's one of the areas where there's a lot of of challenges, you know, <laughs> in a university setting. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. You know, it's it's really tricky because I'm there because the students need me. You know, I feel very strongly that, you know, I went to Yale. I didn't have any, um, you know, I had black directors, but I didn't have any black teachers. And I think I, to, to be a black teacher and to be, you know, on top of my stuff is really important for the students to see that. Um, so that keeps me wanting to be there. But then of course, whenever you deal with the administrative end, and I've had this said to me many times that like, oh, you make too much money. And I'm like, I never know how to take that. It feels like there's like, I always feel like there's a push to get me out. And, um, and so I'll just stay as long as I can because I, I love serving the students, but I do feel that that, um, that double entendre between an ally and an enemy, like somebody who wants you to work there, but says you make too much money. It's like, well, what I love about this entire conversation is that you've imbued everything you've said with this sense of positivity and hope. And I think that that energy is something I see you, I witness you carrying that with you. Well, I, I you know, in spite of that, because I have this belief that even if it doesn't work out, you're still okay. Because if I leave, if I get fired, if, if they don't want me anymore, I'm still me. So if I leave, the party comes with me. So I don't have to worry about, about if, that, if that one particular situation didn't work out. I feel like as creatives, as actors, and as just creative beings, as a director, I can always find another one. And that is such a blessing that we don't, you know, we don't have to just pour everything into one opportunity, one situation. And I, you know, one of the things I always yell at my TV when I see these terrible situations, I'm like, come on, move, get out of that situation. 
you know, if, if it's not working for you in that city, in that town, in that place, in that profession, just leave it, move, start over. You will be okay. You will be okay. So I'm always, and I believe that deeply about myself. So I think that's what keeps me upbeat. Like, well, I'll be here as long as I'm here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you're amazing. I love you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Maybe that comes from being an actor and going from, you know, we're, we're used to shows close. You know, they're great. They're awesome. And then they close. <laughs> You know, and there'll be another show, right? There will be another one. Yes. And just, and that is in life. That That's how it is in life. And write a great script. That's all I can say too. You're, you're the starring in this life of yours, right? <laughs> I love that analogy. I use that with my students. I love it. You are the star. I am just an extra. I'm a day player in your story, in your journey, you know? So don't, don't give me too, don't put me too much on a pedestal. Like, I'm here's my offer, you know, eat the fish, spit out, spit out the bones, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Such great advice. Such a, you know, I think you're the star of, you're the star of this moment in my day for sure. And I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Rosalind Coleman Williams, such a beautiful human and a shining soul, truly an inspiration. I am so grateful that she shared her wisdom, helping to shed some light on our own journeys as we navigate tests, allies, and enemies on this journey we call life. She reminds us to expect the best in ourselves and see the best in each other. You can follow Roz's journey on Instagram at irozap, that's I-R-O-Z-A-P-P, and check out all the awesome things she is up to on rosalindcoleman.com. And I'll just put a plug in for her husband. They do have the cutest, sweetest, most awesome, loving relationship, at least on IG. (laughs) I, I aspire to find somebody like that. Now, coming up, me and the kid where you get my 11-year-old son's perspective on tests, allies, and enemies. Shiro's Journey. Shiro's Journey. Me Me and and the kid. kid. (laughs) Me and the kid. Yeah. Hi, Harrison. Hi, Mom. Well, here we are, episode six of the Shiro's Journey. Wow, that's a lot of episodes. It's halfway. Oh, wow. (laughs) Today is tests... Allies and enemies. Tests? What kind of tests? <laughs> well, not like your test that you just need to complete tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm going to use a little of my background knowledge, but I believe you're kind of talking about like a test as in like a, a test of yourself, you know, like a test of like an achievement, mm-hmm. like something like scoring your first goal in soccer, you know, like that's a test to like see if you can achieve that, you know? What about chess? Oh, like chess. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a test. You're you're testing your opponent. You're playing each other and seeing who's going to come out on top and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. Okay, but what about the enemy part of it? Well, your enemies, um, I think you should respect them, but you also have to... In, in, like, sports, you have to play hard against them, but you also have to, you know, 
in chess, you have to try and kind of get under their, like, in, under themselves and, like, find what they're going to do, you know, mm-hmm. figure them out. Mm. So that's what Barry Kasparov, a chess, a famous chess player, did, um, which won him 24 consecutive years of the championships. Wow. Well, have you ever had an experience where an enemy became an ally? Um, yes, I think I have. Um, one of my friends who's a friend now, I mean, he's not a big friend, but he's one of my friends. His name is Finn, and he uh, he used to be my worst enemy. I really didn't like him at all, but then he became nicer. I don't know if it was actually, like, something I did. It might have just been him getting older and more responsible (laughs) and stuff, but, like... I, I, maybe a little of both. So anyways. It's kind of good to get older and more responsible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> How and about... you're very responsible. Well, I do my best. I do my best. But I think that, you know, sometimes when you're in the, when you're in the middle of tests and trying to figure out who's your friend, who's your enemy, what am I learning here? It doesn't always feel really good, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, it's, it's hard because at the same time, you want to, you, you want to know who your friend is and enemies are, you know, who your mm-hmm. allies and enemies are. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you put too much trust into one person and, and just that one person, if that person, uh, becomes an enemy or that an, an enemy becomes an ally, you really have to spread out your enemies and allies so that mm. it's not like, well, I'm talking more about allies, you know, you're not going to spread out your enemies, but like, you're going to try and have more allies than one, because if you just have one ally, that can go away like this, you know, mm. but that that's, you know, you want to try and have multiple allies. How do you help yourself find more allies, find more friendships? Well, I think you do that by, I mean, one of the ways that kids do it is through, like, sports and teams and classes and, Mm -hmm. like, uh, a a part of being together Mm -hmm. um, can create allies. Another Mm -hmm. thing is even if someone's in opposition but you really admire them, and they admire you and you become friends, that can create an ally. So that's, you know, that's what I think. That's So you don't have to have everything in common to be able to get along? No, you or... really don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to have, because me and my friend Hayden, we are, I mean, he's a left foot. I'm a righty. He's way taller than I am. I'm way shorter than he is. He lives um, in a, a, a really, really nice neighborhood. I don't live in... I, I live in different neighborhood, you know? It's just, it's, 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 you don't have to be the same to be allies and enemies, but you, you can make comparisons or even none at all and still understand each other mm. and be friendly to each other and be cooperative and ultimately, basically, um, you ultimately will create a nice allyship or in a different case, a not so good enemy ship, but you know, <laughs> better friends, not so good enemies anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the other thing I was thinking about is how sometimes do you ever feel like you have a battle inside of yourself, like you, your yeah. own worst enemy? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that because sometimes, like, I'm like, 
I really think I should do this test, but my another part of my t self is like, I'm really tired, and I, 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 if I did this right now, I probably wouldn't get a good grade. And another self is, but your mom would be happy if you did it. <laughs> I'm like, but she wouldn't be happy if I didn't get a good grade on it. So I usually end up listening to my other self, which is don't do it until the next day and have a, a fresh, rejuvenated um, mindset and just feel good. And that's what I'm doing today. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we just need to pause to have a fresh, rejuvenated mindset. Great. Sound good? Yeah. I sure love you, babe. I love you, Mom. <laughs> Thanks, friends. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us on Show's Journey Podcast. You'll find extra info and links in the show notes. Also, please make sure to visit us on Show'sJourney.com, where you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you liked our show, we'd really appreciate a positive review on iTunes. And it would be great if you told a friend about us, too. I have heard it said that if there is only one prayer, let it be thank you. So thank you, listeners, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. So please head over to our YouTube channel if you have a chance and hit subscribe on Shiro's Journey to see me and the kid. I send a gigantic thank you to the exceptionally amazing Rosalind Coleman-Williams. A Shiro I am privileged to know. To my fearless production assistant and always superstar Shiro, Emma Bird, for her awesome designs and endless positivity. Mike Toda, my podcast producer. Tord Funk, who composed the music for my show. And Randy Savage, who designed the show Sweepers. Big love to the awesome Shiros and supporters in my life. You know who you are. And of course, a humongous shout out to all the Shiros in the world and the people who love them. Dig down as you encounter your tests, allies, and enemies. You got this. Keep climbing those mountains and slaying those dragons. See you next time.